0: support for this podcast comes from wharton executive education for more information on wharton's executive course full spectrum innovation driving organic growth please visit executiveeducation.wharton.upenn.edu Wharton.upen.edu
1: On August 1st, Mattel recalled approximately 1.5 million toys made by a manufacturer in China because of dangerous levels of lead paint. The recall marks a continuation of the quality control problems that importers of Chinese made exports have been experiencing over the past two months in products ranging from pet food to fish to tires. Meanwhile, four days earlier, the Chinese government ordered the country's banks to increase their reserves and thereby reduce the amount of money they can lend to business, part of an effort to cool down an economy that is growing at its fastest rate in 12 years. But rapid growth and quality concerns aren't China's only worries. There's also the government's need to keep forging ahead on preparations for the Olympics next August in Beijing, despite some criticism about overdevelopment human rights abuses and unsafe levels of pollution. We recently interviewed Wharton finance professor Jeremy Siegel about his views on China's growth. Today we're asking Wharton management professor Marshall Meyer, who visits China about five times a year, for his perspective on how the Chinese government is handling that and some of these other issues as well. Marshall, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Let's start out with Mattel's recall, which affects toys made for the company's Fisher price unit. How serious a blow is this to the reputation of China's manufacturing sector, which already has a big image problem because of earlier recalls?
2: Well, it's certainly a blow. I think that it just adds to the concerns that people have about the ability of uh, Western companies or Chinese companies manufacturing in China to control the quality of the product.
1: Well, is this something that the government's going to crack down on, or are they claiming that we have the same problems in this country, that, in fact, other countries have similar manufacturing problems? They're on the the offense.
2: Yeah, the the propaganda barrage uh, from the uh, central Chinese government has been, in my judgment, surprisingly muted. Um, I think they recognize they've got a problem. But I also think there's a a false premise in your question, if you'll forgive me. Um, The government... There are many governments in China, and the ability of the central government to control commerce in China is very limited. There's no counterpart to the U.S. Commerce Clause in the Chinese Constitution. And so whatever regulations, laws the central government makes are sometimes changed and often ignored by local governments.
0: So what would be a good strategy for U.S. companies or other international companies that are sourcing production from China to deal with this issue?
2: Well, there are a couple of things. Um, uh, first of all, uh, simply to pay a lot more attention at some cost uh, to the quality of the product they're getting from China. Um, there's no substitute for being there on the ground and knowing exactly who your sources are and who their sources are. Um, this is an, this is a, a particular problem in China because uh, the contracting, subcontracting system, which they call the uh, uh, Baochan system... Um, Uh, often uh, makes it less than transparent who's actually making a product. Let let me give you an illustration of the system if I can. Suppose I'm in Shanghai and uh, I want to take a taxi out to Suzhou, which is about 45, 50 minutes away. It's a good hike. And uh, you find a cab driver, and hypothetically now you negotiate a fare with a cab driver, say 300 RMB or 350 RMB. And you hop in the cab, and you think you're on your merry way to Suzhou, And he's going in the right direction. But all of a sudden, before he gets to the freeway, he stops. And he sees his buddy, and he waves him over. And basically, he turns you over to his buddy. And maybe uh, uh, he gives the buddy um, uh, 300 RMB and pockets the 50 right away. Um, this kind of thing happens throughout China, so that when Mattel says, for example, we've been dealing with the source for 15 years, we felt we could really trust them, uh, they still might not know who the source is taking raw materials from and, in turn, who their source is getting their raw materials from.
1: How extensive a problem do you think this is?
2: Well, I think given the price pressures, this is going to be extremely extensive because every, you know, everything in China is driven by price. Um, lots of small producers. You go to Dongguang, where all the 80% of the toys come from. You're going to see hundreds and hundreds of these little shops producing little little components for toys. Who knows where any particular piece is coming from? And and, and so um, uh, th- you know this 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 is going to be um, difficult to handle unless and until um, uh, both the Chinese and American firms. Uh, go back to actually owning their sources of supply. Then they'll have a little more control over them.
1: Some people have suggested um third party testing as, as a way to get around this, but I suppose that has its own problems, including expense.
2: Well, you know, it's uh you know from quality literature you know you want to get to the you you, you, you don't want to fix the problem afterwards. You want to prevent the problems in the first place. And that's why control is so important. And that may mean, again, a greater ownership stake in firms that are now subcontractors.
0: Could we talk now about China's economy, which grew 11.9% in the last quarter, which is its fastest rate in 12 years? Uh, What's your take on the growth rate? And what are some of the pluses and minuses?
2: Well, a couple of things. First of all, these numbers are coming from the National Bureau of Statistics. The statistical system in China is not perfect. Some of my colleagues here at Wharton understand it much better than I do. Uh, the economic statistics are collected bottom-up from the provinces to the central government. Again, it's very decentralized in China. And the provinces have – provincial governors have strong incentives to maximize their GDP. They're rewarded or punished for provincial GDP. Advancement within the political system depends upon provincial GDP. So the provinces tend to fulfill, as they, as he they said in the old Soviet Union, they tend to fulfill and over-fulfill their quotas. And often NBS is in the position of tapping down the statistics they get from the provinces. So if you look at the provincial totals, you look at the NBS numbers, there's a disparity. Um, so so there, there are issues with the numbers themselves. Now there's another issue. The central government, as you mentioned, Nicole, has been uh, taking some measures, both administrative as well as physical, to try to slow down GDP growth. But they can't really control the banks. Mm. Um, The banks are themselves fairly decentralized. The local branches, every province has a branch of big four commercial banks. The provincial branches run fairly autonomously. This has changed a bit, but not a lot. Um, since the banks have become joint stock companies and Western investors have taken positions in them. And so just like the the central government has trouble controlling local governments, bank headquarters have trouble controlling the branches of the banks. Now, there's an additional issue here, and it's what I call the perpetual motion machine in China. China builds goods for exports, for export. And FDI comes into China as well, foreign direct investment. The dollars or Western currencies come into China. They're all captured by the central bank, the People's Bank of China. The People's Bank of China puts the dollars into China's foreign reserves, which have been going going up exponentially, as you notice. They issue RMB in return for the dollars. But these RMB cannot leave China. The RMB is non-convertible. The Chinese learned quite a lesson in 1997 when they saw Thailand and Indonesia get into real trouble because of convertibility of the currency. And, you know, the rest of the world, you know, was really angry at Malaysia when they shut the currency window. And yet they saved themselves a lot of pain by doing so. So you've got all this RMB in China with no place to go except China. And where does it end up? It ends up in further fixed asset investment. Roads, factories, and the like. Fixed asset investment leads to more production and more export, and hence the perpetual motion machine. Unless and until there's a little more convertibility of the currency, um, China's GDP and China's exports and China's fixed asset investment are all going to go up together.
0: Well, I think that's a very interesting point that you've raised because in theory, at least, uh, the yuan should be appreciating as the foreign exchange reserves go up. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's exactly what's happening in India right now, Mm -hmm. where because of the inflow of foreign capital into India, the rupee has been becoming stronger and stronger against the dollar. What prospects do you see, uh, absent convertibility of the yuan, of the currency regime changing to reflect global capital trends?
2: Well, I'm not really expert on that. Uh, I I, I guess my guess is this, and I'm, I'm now going back to the 1985 Plaza Courts. When, remember when the U.S. forced up the uh, Japanese yen. And what happened, um, yen goes up, um, a lot of money flows into Japan, a lot of investment in Japan. And then, of course, came the bust. In the 1990s in Japan, the, the, the currency goes in, and then it flew out of Japan. And um, uh, Japan was in a decade-long recession. So as, do you think the yuan
0: should go up in China?
2: Um I don't think that the R- valuation of the RMB is a critical factor here. Because if you look at the Chinese contribution, value added to things marked made in China, it's relatively small. You know, I always like the iPods. If you look on the back of your iPod, it says designed in California, assembled in China. Now, where's the value added? Okay? Um, if the RMB were to appreciate about, let's say, ten percent, just to give a nominal number, um, that would probably raise the cost of Chinese goods, goods marked manufactured in China, one and a half two percent. Not earth-shaking, but but you know enough to affect folks uh, in China. The you see here is the real issue of appreciation of the RMB. Um, investment in China, and I don't know the Indian comparison. Maybe you can provide it, McCool. Um, Investment in China is inefficient. Returns on Chinese investments, except for the speculative stock market, are quite a bit below global returns on capital. So if the RMB goes up, you get this kind of elastic effect. Um, Despite the currency controls, the currency will leak out because the returns are so much better outside of China. As that currency leaks out, And say the trickle becomes a torrent. What happens? Just like in Japan, the currency goes up. The currency goes down. I could make a case. Actually, I don't think I would want to make it, but I could hypothetically make a case that the RMB is overvalued, not undervalued, today.
1: If you looked at the Chinese economy a year from now, what would you expect to see? You
2: know, I don't know because I think there are a lot of there's, there's a lot of uncertainty. I think in the Chinese economy, one source of uncertainty is just in the stock market. Um, the um, stock market has plateaued at around uh, four thousand uh, for the uh, the Shanghai index, and um, it uh, it strikes me at least as overvalued in relation to earnings. So um, that that could have an effect on China. Um, I think. I think there's a major source of strain in the economy. Let me give you a couple of numbers uh, that to, to, to illustrate this, if I may. Um, if in the United States, because I looked at the, the Department of Commerce figures, in the U.S., 46% of GDP is wages and salaries. Okay? The numbers in China in 1992 were 15%. And today... And this is according to NBS, so take it or leave it. You know, it's National Bureau of Statistics numbers. Okay, 11%. Now, there are a lot of folks in China who are farmers, more than half the population, who don't have salaries and wages. Um, There's a lot of non-salary, non-wage compensation. Some of it's corruption. So it's hard to compare U.S. and China. It's it's apples and oranges, you're not sure. But what's worrisome is the trend, not so much as the absolute levels. And... The central government's policy is to um, get more money into the households and to uh, increase the proportion of uh, GDP uh, that's actually expended by the households, but it looks like they're not succeeding. It's going to take some Herculean efforts, I think, to move expenses out of fixed asset investment, um, out of uh, things that contribute to the export economy and in the direction of promoting uh, domestic economic growth, growth of the domestic economy. I think that's necessary, but it's proving very, very hard to do because still there are powerful incentives in the opposite direction.
0: Uh, and finally, what about the Olympics? Uh, can China pull them off? What are some of the challenges there?
2: Oh, 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 oh China's great at execution. They'll pull this off. <laughs> There's, you can count on it. Now, b- now, between today and a year from now, um, I would say all bets are off. I mean, Beijing is utterly congested. They're building about 12 subway lines simultaneously. The amount of other construction that's going on is unbelievable. Many of the construction sites don't have nets, don't have tents over them. So the dust, the particulate stuff in the air is probably at, at, at an all-time high. I'm not sure, but when you look out a window, it seems as if there's just a lot of particulate pollution. And um, uh, so, uh, I, I, you know, I say to people sometimes, uh, go to Beijing, but you know, be careful what you breathe. Um, it's, uh, but they'll they'll make it. I mean, there's no question. This is so important to, to China's self-esteem. Remember that that China made an Olympic bid for 2000, did not succeed in getting it. Their pride was hurt, and 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 they've 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 put everything behind this effort uh, to make it work, and it will work, no doubt. Uh, but, again, the amount of construction and improvement that's going on in Beijing, uh, in the meantime, is uh, just a little bit disruptive of daily life.
1: It seems like there are two contradictory forces here. They're trying to develop enough of the infrastructure to handle all the crowds, et cetera. In the meantime, they're creating so much pollution for the athletes. Isn't there some concern that the city might be dangerous to, to people who are athletes? Well, 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 well
2: I'll, I'll tell you a little story. Um uh, in, in November last year, they had the, um, the China-Africa summit. Uh, I happened to be there at the time because it was the time of the Warton 125th anniversary tour in Beijing. And the air was remarkably clear. Okay. <laughs> at the end of January, last minute my phone rings and I'll say a senior official in the central government said, come over and see me. And I did. And uh, we we talked uh, uh, about this and that for a half an hour. But I did ask him, I said, gee, the air was terrific during the China-Africa summit. What did you do? And he said, oh, it was simple. We seized the car keys. And I said, what car keys? And he said, the keys to all government cars. And I said, that can't be that many cars. And he laughed. He said, that was a half million cars we took off the road. As I said, they're good at wow. execution. Wow. <laughs> okay. That's incredible. So I, the the air they they will shut down the 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 worst polluters, uh-huh. and they will take the private they will take many many cars off the road. And I would bet if I could make this bet in Vegas, I would I would bet that there'll be blue skies for the Olympics in Beijing.
1: What will they do with the thousands of? construction workers that they've brought in from the countryside?
2: What they do on all national holidays, remember China has three national holidays one week apiece, and everyone goes home. And they'll go home. And the shanties in which they live will be dismantled. Again, they have large workforce, they're good at execution.
1: Are you planning to go to the Olympics?
2: Not at this time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Marshall Meyer, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you're more than welcome.
0: For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.